What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is class of 1964, basically part of Mount Rushmore of Bethany, Dr. Larry Grimes. Larry's going to tell us everything from his time coming to Bethany here in 1960 and everything of the 50-some years that he spent here at Bethany uh, in different facets of his career and, and maybe a little bit of what he's doing now out there in Colorado. But without further ado... Dr. Larry Grimes. You wanna know by now. You wanna know by now. You wanna know by now. You wanna know, you wanna know, you want, you want, you What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadalino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is Dr. Larry Grimes, class of 1964. And there's 30 years worth of uh, uh, advisees and mentees and students that Larry has has touched in his time here at Bethany. Dr. Grimes, thank you very much for being a part of the show. My pleasure. We are going to do this. I can't give you the Turner's tea because you're out there in Colorado. I, I, we won't, dislo- we won't uh, give the location because we don't want anybody just surprising you and knocking on the door. But um, we're going to do this the way we do every week. Dr. Grimes is going to tell us about how he ended up here at Bethany, what his, what his experience was as a student, and then we'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about everything since that point. Um, but so, Dr. Grimes, in you graduated in 1964. Yes. So in 1960, you arrived here in Bethany. That's correct. And how did you find Bethany? Well, let me start by saying where I came from uh, in order to know how I got to. Uh, I grew up in on a farm in rural Indiana. And in my high school years, a new minister came to town. He was literally uh, fresh out of Bethany. Uh, He had graduated the year before. He had been president of the student body. And he was attending seminary in Indianapolis. And they sent him out to my little church to be our pastor while he was in seminary. And he became my second father. He became my mentor. And he was just a delightful guy. He's the first person to take me to Colorado. (laughs) We went to a big church meeting out in Denver uh, when I was a junior. Uh, But he was a strong influence on my life. And uh, I would say until my junior year, if you'd ask me what I was going to do and where I was going to go to college, the answer would be, I'm going to go to Purdue University and I'm going to major in animal science. And I'm going to go there on something that would be pretty weird for most people, on a livestock judging scholarship. I was darn good at judging livestock on the hook. <laughs> good enough to get a scholarship to Purdue. Uh, but the influence of this guy on me was spectacular. He opened up to me the world of theater. Uh, he became a, a director uh, at one of the TV studios in Indianapolis uh, and was a media guy all of his life. He ended his career as a professor of uh, photography and film at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, so he redirected my life. I thought I was going to either be an animal science or a chemical engineer, but Purdue was the track. And he derailed the track. And uh, Thank God he did. Year, in my senior year, he drove me out to Bethany. That's not a short drive. No, and in those days without the interstate, it was like a 
10 hour drive. And uh, I spent a weekend there uh, and met students and met faculty, including Dr. Gresham. And I was impressed. <laughs> I was really impressed by the place. And after that, it was sort of a no brainer. Okay. Uh, I knew what it did for him. And I was convinced it would be a good place for me. My parents weren't 100% sure of that. Uh, they weren't even 100% sure about college. They weren't against it. But my senior year was a very difficult and strange year. My father had broken his back when he was 22. He was working on a three-story barn roof and it collapsed and he fell the three stories. Wow. And he had serious back issues all of his life. He made it to 92, but he had a lot of back pain and a lot of issues. And in my senior year, the decision was made by his doctors that he would have a spinal fusion. Okay. And they, in those days, that was a very complicated operation, and they put him in a full body cast. We were dairy farmers. So my senior year, I went to school and uh, ran a 40-cal dairy farm, got up at four in the morning did the milking, did the school, back home, did the milking, did the homework, went to bed. And when all this was over, dad couldn't get back to farming. So he said to me uh, in the spring of that year, do you want college or do you want the farm? And you I decided. <laughs> it took me about three seconds. Those dairy cows have done me in. So that's how I got to Bethany is through a man named Clay Lowe, who is still a friend and a mentor. He's in his 80s now, doing well. We stay in touch. Um, and so he brought me to Bethany. And your time at Bethany is not the Bethany that we know it today. No. The uh, Bethany that I arrived at uh, changed in the four years I was there. The one that I arrived at still had hazing of all entering students. We all wore beanies. Uh, we all had to learn the songs of Bethany and any upperclassman could demand that we sing them on the spot. And if we didn't, the varsity B people would give you push-ups or whatever. And it was not nice, but it, it, it was a way of, well, you know about hazing. Uh, <laughs> it had its advantages, it had a disadvantage. And, and there was a person in my class who became a very important Bethanian named Al Filoni, mm -hmm. who was certainly the smartest kid in the class. And he was a big guy. He was anything but an athlete. And so the varsity people picked on him. And at one point they broke eggs on his head. Oh. And Filoni walked up to Pendleton Heights, rang the doorbell. And when Gresham came to the door, he said, sir, is this your college? Hazing ended. That was it? That was the end that of that? It. That was it. It was gone. Uh, and that was the first of the changes. Um, when I arrived, um, we had convocation every Thursday and chapel every Tuesday. Attendance was taken. It was required of all first-year students, and you know you had your assigned seat. And uh, it got pretty bad bringing in preachers every Tuesday. They got to the bottom of the barrel by March. Uh, but anyway, that by the time I left, chapel was gone. Convocation was still there, but it was not every week. Um, 
And then there were real changes in dorm life for women during the time that I was there. When I got there, all women, all first year women lived in Phillips Hall mm -hmm. and they had a house mother. Miss Nick. Yes. Yes. No, 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 she was not the house. No, so the house mother. Uh, my wife's not around. She could tell me the name. It was an elderly woman. Um, and she took her job seriously. But the uh, women had freshmen women had to sign in and out of the dorm every time they if they went to the library, they had to sign out. When they came back, they had to sign in. They had curfews uh, that were strictly observed. Guys were only allowed in Phillips Hall Lounge. Feet on the floor at all times. Uh, it was a different world. By the time I left, again, most of that was gone. Um, but uh, yeah, it was different when I got there. It changed a lot over the four years I was there. And so you, you bring up uh, Dr. Gresham. What was it like interacting with him on a day-to-day -day basis? Because I've heard many stories and, and they all, none of them are negative. Everybody that you talked to, he was, he was very willing to speak to you. He was but he was, there was a rule, there were rules, and this is, we're going to follow them, and if you don't like it, there's the door. Well, it, that was more Dr. Kirkpatrick than it was Dr. Gresham about if you don't follow the rules, you're out the door when, when Kirkpatrick was dean of students. Gresham was very friendly. Um, he called people by names, always. Not often the right name, but he called you by a name. Uh, he would stroll down from the heights along the, that big path, and he would see you in the morning, and he would, good morning, Carlo, <laughs> uh, or George, or whatever came to his mind. Whatever name <laughs> popped into his head that, at that time. Yeah. Uh, he was a marvelous storyteller. He, uh, I always said that the guy could read a McDonald's menu, and you would convince that you, you've been to a philosophy class. Um, he was a nice guy. He had his problems. Uh, I had problems with him uh, in my senior year. It was a, a very rough senior year on campus. This is 63, 64. Uh, when Kennedy was assassinated, uh -huh. uh, almost every college in the United States shut down for the funeral. Gresham kept Bethany open. He was a radical Republican. Ah. And uh, some faculty decided not to hold classes on that Monday. Uh, I packed a group of people into my old Ford and we headed for the funeral. Uh, and Gresham uh, was not kind to the faculty that canceled their classes. The ones that didn't have tenure and were up for tenure or for contract renewal didn't get it. Wow. And that provoked a little student rebellion. Bethany was a year ahead of Berkeley in having students with signs in front of the administration building uh, asking for a, a, a re-evaluation of those faculty. It didn't happen. It was actually a good experience for those of us who were protesting. It got us ready for the rest of the 60s. Yeah. Um, but television cameras were out and it was a bit of an embarrassing moment. Uh, later, Perry and I talked about this, and his side of the story was, as one might expect, different than the student experience of the story. Um, but I think, still think he was wrong uh, in his treatment of several of the faculty. Probably the one of the best professors I had was a man named Ali Frazier, a philosophy professor, who went on to have an illustrious career elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but Bethany got through it okay. 
But I would say that's one time where, you know, I, we were on different sides. And when I came back for an interview, uh, my interview with Gresham was all about that. Um, and Which now you're, you're probably sitting there in the interview going, oh, my, really? We're going to. I, I was, although he did most of the talking and I did most of the listening. I'd learned that skill by then. <laughs> um, and it was it, part of it was due to the fact that one of the nice things that happened during my presence there is Bethany created an honors program. And I was in the honors group, the first honors group, and it was a small group. And we were studying higher education in our honors seminar when all this happened. So we had lots of questions uh, to which we didn't get good answers. But I also have been administrator long enough to know that there are times you don't give answers. Well, and there's no good answer to when when it's when it, those are the questions being asked. Is that, yeah. Oh, you you're on uh, one side or the other. Yeah, but it was it was an interesting experience and uh, one that is quite memorable. As as I look back, my education at Bethany was superior. Well, and that's uh, something I wanted to touch on. So, what was the academic standard at that time? Well, the curriculum was different. We had a classical curriculum at that time. It was. You had to take this, 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 and this kind of thing. Um, and I think it helped give me a, a well-rounded education that, that I appreciate. Uh, one of the courses we had to take was a two-semester course in fine arts. I mean, in my travels around the world, that has been one of the most useful things I had. This kid from Indiana suddenly learned about uh, painting, music, and, and I could have access to that the rest of my life, uh, thanks to a man named George Hopfuer. Um, the faculty was, was stellar. Uh, you know, my teachers were, as I said, this man, Ali Frazier, uh, Helen Louise McGuffey, uh -huh. uh, a man named Robert Sykes, Nurse Sykes' husband, um, John Taylor, Osborne Booth. I mean, they're really a wonderful group of faculty members. And um, you know, they were fresh, several of them sort of fresh from their degrees. McGuffey had her degree from Columbia only about maybe three or four years. And Sykes completed his degree at Penn while I was there. So the ideas were fresh and uh, they held you accountable. I remember once being called in by McGuffey uh, and I learned something important from her that I used later as a teacher. She called me in and said, uh, we got to talk about your paper. And I looked at her and I, I didn't know. She said, and she just started asking me questions after questions. And when we finished, she said, well, you did write it, didn't you? <laughs> and she taught me that what you do if you've got a problem with plagiarism and you think the person probably doesn't know a darn thing about the subject, they just grabbed a paper ask them a lot of questions. If they know a lot of answers, they wrote it. They wrote it. If they don't know the answers, then... And you, that's the end of the story right there. Well, and I believe, and we will get into this story later on in your advisee time and whatnot, I think there's a funny Alpha Sig story where you're a professor, advisor, yeah. <laughs> and your own paper comes across your desk. That's right. It happened. So... All, you, you were a part of, we were a part of the same fraternity, you're an Alpha Sigma yeah. Phi. Um, yeah. Was that always a thought for you coming from Indiana? Were you going to join Greek or? And I, didn't, that all come I didn't know much about Greek when I got there. But what I did feel when I got there was that, you know, 
the center of life in many ways at Bethany at that time was Greek life. Mm -hmm. And you want to participate, at least I did. And so it made sense um, to, to look at the Greek system. And so I went through Rush and all that. Um, in those days, Rush was in the fall. Um, and it was an interesting experience. I, I mentioned to you guys, I got blackballed by KA. Best thing that ever happened to me at Bethany. No, not the best thing. I'll tell you about the best thing in a minute. But um, my roommate had gone Alpha Sig. And so he's a good roommate, still a good friend. And so their Alpha Sigs at that time were in trouble. There were only about eight or 10 of them. Sounds familiar. Yeah, they took a pledge class of 12, uh, my pledge class. Of that pledge class of 12, I can quickly count six that are either PhDs or MDs. It was an exciting pledge class, good guys from all over the place. Um, and my Alpha Sig experience was a wonderful experience. Uh, I was, uh, most of the time I was there, I was the scholarship chairman. And the first thing my roommate and I did as scholarship chairman is we took the house files and burned them. And our GPA went up in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> People had to actually do stuff. Um, and so it was, it was a, a wonderful, wonderful experience at Alpha Sigma Phi. And, and you know, Alpha Sigs have stayed with me to the present, as you know, from a weekend ago. Well, and, and um, you got the opportunity to live up in, the, up in Point Breeze. Yes. What was Point Breeze like at that point? Because I've been in there, I've seen the beautiful, you know, you have the oh. beautiful fireplaces and the beautiful oak uh, railings that, that are just, that you can see that well, it was probably a magnific magnificent building. It was. When I got there, it was a mansion. And it, we kept, we were pretty good about keeping it a mansion. Uh, every weekend, it was, it was, the pledges got the first assignment, but people would help them. Uh, we polished the wood all over the place. First floor and second floor landing, and it, it was spick and span. Uh, we held dances there. They were formal. Uh, I brought a tuxedo with me and used it fairly often. Uh, I was also in the chorus, so that was another reason to use the, the tuxedo. Um, but the house was an elegant place, and I will now digress to the most important thing that happened to me at Bethany. Uh, Alpha Sigs had what we called freshman girl parties every September. And uh, we would invite in smaller groups uh, all the women in the freshman class. We would pick them up at Phillips Hall, bring them out. We'd have an evening of punch and cookies and conversation and get to know the girls. Uh, and at one of those in 1962, uh, I remember talking to a, a petite young blonde, uh, and we, we talked about a number of things, and that was that. I, a couple of weeks later, the girl that I'd been dating had gone home for the weekend, and I thought, well, you know, we're not that serious. I'll see if I can get another date for a movie. Huh? Uh, and so I called this girl. Her name was Carol June Decker. Uh, and uh, she wasn't quite sure who I was when we were talking on the phone. So, so to try and sort that out from all the guys she talked to at the freshman girl party, she said, do you play the trumpet? This is the greatest bit of luck in my life. The answer was yes, poorly, <laughs> but I played the trumpet. One of my 
fraternity brothers, who's a professor of music these days, really played the trumpet. And that's who she thought I was. <laughs> and so I go to pick her up and she comes down the winding stairs at Phillips Hall and there's this guy standing there. Not um, what she expected. No, she tells me it was a better choice. Um, I'm, I guess she meant it. So we'll be celebrating 55 years in June. Well, congratulations so she, on that. The best thing that, that happened to me at Bethany. Um, but the education I received was wonderful. I, it was tested out pretty quickly when I went to Yale Divinity School. Uh, they told us that the entering grade point average was 3.8. Uh, and so you knew you were in competition and then that set me up then to go on to Emory to do my PhD. And I never felt behind the ball anywhere. I was competitive with anybody. And it was because of the, the strong curriculum and the incredible professors. And those professors, I suspect, are the ones who convinced me I wanted to be a professor. Uh, they, they led us into their lives. McGuffey and Taylor would have classes in their houses. We, we, they helped us grow, uh -huh. they helped us change. We saw that education was, yes, it was a lot of information, but it was also formation. And I think that was probably the most important part of it. Um, and so I, I, I can't uh, ever say anything except thank you for the quality of the education Bethany provided me and for the wonderful friendships mm -hmm. uh, that, that developed then. Uh, I still have very close friends who are from my Bethany years. I stopped by to see my old roommate two years ago. He turned into a professor also. He was a biochemist at the University of Missouri. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've stayed in touch with Alpha SIGs and non-Alpha SIGs and, and many, many students. Maybe no KAs, though. <laughs> oh, even KAs. Even KAs. Some of them are very good friends. So the last question for this part, yeah. I wanted to talk more. What was the social life like in the, because you talked about in fraternity world, that was the, the Greek life system here was the center yeah. of of everything but what else did you guys do here in town uh, you know you i think would page two have been around or no no so no. What was... when i got to bethany bethany was dry okay it was a dry campus uh on the weekends uh you'd take your date and, and go out to breezy heights um and uh maybe you, you would go uh, well, that was probably the main place people went. Then, then guys would have their own bar. We had an old, a bar in Wellsburg that no longer exists that Alpha Sigs went to. Uh, if we just wanted to go grab a pizza and a beer some night. Uh -huh. um, or go out to M's in the afternoon. So M's was out, which is the German beer gardens out yeah. out 67. And I think it becomes yeah. 331 when you cross over the line. But right. Yeah, M's was was a, a place again. So the guys would go, mm -hmm. uh, and it was an afternoon kind of thing. Is a a warm afternoon, and, you, and you've caught up with your work, and you go out and grab a couple of beers and be lazy beside the buffalo, um, and then for evenings with a date, breezy heights, uh, and they still had those booths. It looks like it does now, 
except for the animals yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that were in addition. That was a dance floor then. Um, and then, as I said, you know, the fraternities all had several um, fairly elaborate parties, probably two or three a semester. Um, and they would be themed parties. Um, I can remember once we had a beach theme party and we carted sand into the chapter room. Oof. And uh, we were very careful about it. We got it out okay and didn't make a mess. Um, <clears throat> but it was uh, uh, a center of, of life. Now, the, the college also had lots of concerts and lectures and some really big name people came through, as I think has been the case with Bethany for years. Um, and the lecturers were important. Bethany had movies every Friday and Saturday nights for a, a dollar in Commencement Hall when it was two stories. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's where I saw my first international films and became interested in film in a serious way. I saw my first films directed by Bergman or Fellini at Bethany. Uh, and they were a real eye-opening thing for me. Um, and, you know, you just have delightful films of all kinds. Um, I have a copy of the film my wife and I saw on our first date. It was Flower Drum Song. Um, and so the social life was pretty much contained to your fraternity or all campus events, like the Phillips Hall Formal, which I wish could come back. Absolutely. That was a big... That was a big event. It was a it was a tuxedo event, gowns, and you could see who was dating whom because the women invited the men, uh, and that was the biggest event of the year, I think. Um, and we had carnivals and snow carnivals, and 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 they were participated in in those days. Probably the biggest thing about social life then is that we were compact as a campus. We weren't spread out on several hills. And uh, we dined as a group. All the men dined in Renner. All the women dined in Phillips Hall for dinner. And that meant that we sang Bethany songs. Announcements could be made to everybody. Uh -huh. um, it had its advantages. We were served at table, which provided jobs for a lot of students who were student waiters. Um, and there was a kind of social life around that. Uh, everything happened on the top of the hill. Classes were almost all in Old Main. Uh, we had an active music program, an active theater program. I'm, I'm Alpha Psi Omega. Um, for two years, I was really active in theater. My last two years, I had a student church uh, in California, Pennsylvania. So that curtailed a lot of my weekend activities. Yeah. Another kind of social thing that happened that Bob Sandercox, bless him, created, he created um, an eating club, invitation only. Whoa. And uh, you could see who was BMOCs on campus, at least by Bob's definition, a lot of Alpha Sigs. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> the uh, gray house down by the old infirmary mm -hmm. that was a dining club wow i didn't i've never um, heard that story it was called the thistle and uh, that was a that came in maybe my junior year mm -hmm. and so that was an alternative to going to breezy's 
Bob, as you can imagine, made it as upscale as possible. Absolutely. The red leather chairs and that sort of thing. Um, and it was a, an important part of the social life. Another part that Alpha Sigs were not in as much as Sigma News is beer parties up on Greek Letter Hill. Um, Betas and Sigma News did that more than we did, but everybody did it sometimes, get a keg and go up on top of the hill um, and then get screamed at by the college. For um, being not, up on the hill. Well, you know, it, as I said, the campus itself was dry. Um, that doesn't mean the students were all dry, but there was some advantage to having a, a dry campus. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have the kind of vandalism that, that eventually destroyed the house. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that was just drunken idiots, you know. You're not thinking. You're not thinking when you're drunk. That's right. Beer brains don't don't uh, work too well. Um, but social life was, um, a, 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 I think, a very. It was stronger when I got there. By the way, cars weren't allowed on campus, so that meant you guys were there when you were at. Once you got you there, company, you were we there. were there. Yeah. Now, by the time I left, there were more reasons why you could have a car on campus. But uh, basically, it was still fairly restricted. So people didn't go home. And the campus that I went to was much more national. Much more. Uh, in my class at Alpha Sig, my roommate was from McMechan. Uh, another kid was from Wellsburg. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was from Hawaii or California or New Jersey or New York or, yeah. A lot of people coming together from different yeah. walks. From yeah, a lot more diverse than than it has become. So we've come to that point. This is how this is where we're going to end part one. I'm going to send it to another fraternity brother of ours, Kieran and KJ Dunn, with Maple Shade Outdoors. If you haven't yet, get on Instagram. It's Maple underscore Shade dot Outdoors, or you can hop over to YouTube after you're done watching this show. Click the subscribe button on our channel. Go over to Maple Shade Outdoors and give them a watch. They do uh, a lot of outdoors, a lot of hunting, fishing, um, and just the general how to set up a tree stand and et cetera. But this is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. I am Carlo Guadagnino with class of 1964, Dr. Larry Grimes, and we will be right back. What's going on, everybody? This is Kieran Dunn, founder of Maple Shade Outdoors. You're currently watching Dingo Talk with my man, Carlo. If you're anything like me and you're really enjoying this content, you should like and subscribe his page. While you're on YouTube, you should probably just head over and like and subscribe Maple Shade Outdoors. Check out our page, enjoy some videos, some outdoor content. You might as well hop on Instagram, Facebook, follow us, Maple Shade Outdoors. Now that's enough about me. I'm trying to get back and watch the rest of Dingo Talk. So I'll talk to y'all later. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is Dr. Larry Grimes, class of 1964. We left off with the social life and the fact that for many people out there, it's going to be shocking. You didn't have cars on campus and people stayed here on the weekends. And you, when you got to Bethany, you were here. Here's the thing that connects all of us. Doesn't matter if you were in the first class of Bethany or if you're in the class of 2021 that's coming up. Uh, Comprehensive exams. So what was your comprehensive exam like? Was it still the week of studying and then the week of testing? 
yes, there was still the week uh, of studying and then the the days of the testing. Uh, that part I don't think has changed in a long, long time. Mm -hmm. uh, as I think Professor Kappel noted, uh, the way people respond after exam has changed. In my time, it was even different from Professor Kappel's. Um, we not only didn't know at the end of the comp what had happened, uh, they would meet and then they would send letters to the post office. So it wasn't just bringing the letter to you. This got officially mailed out. To mailed to your post office box and you would wait. You'd go, to, you'd see people standing in the post office. At that time, the post office was where the bison inn is. Okay. Um, and you'd go to the post office and you'd wait and your hand would be sweaty and you'd open the box and there's nothing there yet. Um, but yeah, I remember comps well. I even remember some questions. Um, so what was comps like for you on the test side? Well, they it's almost as though they wrote the questions for me. I, I found them delightful, had fun writing them, uh, and felt pretty good when I left. And then the oral is what I remember better. I remember one comparison test on, on the actual essays. Uh, and I had had two books lined up that were just perfect for it. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird and Intruder in the Dust were in my head, so I could do those well. Uh, on the oral, um, I remember Professor Taylor getting me to talk about Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher, and, and William Shakespeare. And it was a very interesting conversation. And I remember the young member of the department at that time wanted me to talk about Faulkner's newest novel called The Fable. And I said, I haven't read it. And he pursued to ask me questions about it until McGuffey basically said, shut the hell up. <laughs> um, and uh, much more polite than that, but he did. But that was uh, what she was saying. Yes, <laughs> uh, but it was it was a memorable experience. I felt good when I left Orals too. So I was anxious going to the post office because I thought I had distinction. And I don't know what's worse, whether you think you're failing or you think you have distinction. If you're in the middle, you don't care. <laughs> no. no, you're just uh, you're, you're just, just done. You're just done. Yeah, but we didn't have celebrations then because you didn't even know when to celebrate. Uh, once they went over to the registrar, you could be pretty sure that at the end of the day, you could find out at the registrar what happened that day, mm -hmm. uh, or certainly the next morning. But we just didn't know. <laughs> so and how long did it normally take between, was it about a week after the everybody had wrapped up, or did they make oh, no. you guys sweat it out a it, little bit? By the end of the week, I think everybody knew, or maybe if you had a, a Friday, Saturday, it might be Monday before you knew. Mm -hmm. Uh, because of the post office, uh, but it, you know it was still a long wait. Even it's always a long wait. It's yeah. still a long wait now. Uh, even when they tell you, they just that they say go out in the hall. And, uh, the it's longest still twenty minutes of my life. I promise you that. <laughs> yeah, but it's one of the best things that we do at Bethany. I hope they never do away with them. So now. Once comps is done, when did you know that you were going to continue to go on with with schooling and education? Was that always? Well, 
I, I done all the applications. I didn't know at that point, I guess, I'm not even sure when I decided where I was going. I'd applied to Chicago and Yale. And at that point, I thought that I was leaning toward Chicago because they had a program in literature and theology. Uh -huh. But the chaplain of, of Bethany College at that time, the minister at the church, a man named Jeff Hamilton, who married my wife and I at the church a couple of years after that, uh, was a very good pastor and friend. And he was the Yale Divinity School graduate. And he convinced me that I should really go and do a regular seminary degree uh -huh. and not go and specialize in theology and literature yet. And he convinced me of that. And so off I went to Yale. Uh, and Yale provided me opportunities to take graduate work at the uh, graduate school in English. So it, it was not a, a delay really, it prepared me even better. And it gave me an option later in life. I mean, it, it set me up to be an ordained minister. And I spent 15 years as pastor of Community Christian Church in Beachbottom, uh, which would not have been possible if I'd made the other choice. Okay. Um, and so it was a good decision. But again, it was one of those that was helped along by Bethany mentors. They'd been around forever. One of them, Bob Sandercox, I think was influencing my life until the day he died. Um, I as he did with many, as yeah. he did with many. I'm sure he, he influenced my life at times I didn't even know about it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, so that's how I ended up at Yale. And then uh, getting the PhD was the same thing. You had no, there was no question that you were gonna continue after. Right. I was one of those men, and at Yale Divinity School in my time, and I don't know whether it's that way now or not, I would say that more than half of the entering class did not intend to go straight into the parish. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them intended to get PhDs and, and go into some kind of academic work. Uh, and that was certainly my intention. Um, you said a lot of the guys that you can name six off the top of your head from from your pledge class that yeah. ended up going on from Bethany to get a PhD. Well, Bethany has lots of people that I mean, at one time, and I'm, I'm out of the world of stats about Bethany anymore. But within the last 10 years, I remember reading a report that said that per capita, Bethany had produced more PhDs than any other school in West Virginia. Wow. So per capita, we were producing more than WVU. So at what point do you, and I'm, I'm sure Bob has a little bit to do with it, I'm, but when does the, I'm going to come back and, be, and, and, and start teaching here at Bethany? When does that become the realization? Well, I, when I had finished, I was finishing my coursework. Uh, and one evening, the telephone rang. And I picked up the phone. And the voice on the other end said, this is John Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> and John called me to say that Bob Sykes, who'd been my American Lit professor, uh, had taken another position and that they were hunting for a new person in American literature. And he said, are you interested? And, and I said, yeah. I mean, because I was getting ready to hunt a job. Uh, and I had... Uh, possibilities at Wake Forest and at Middlebury College. And I added Bethany into the mix. And Bethany's offer was the best offer. 
Well, and you, you pointed out in your time, the, the professors were fresh in the knowledge that they were going, that they were giving to the current students. Yes. So it's very ironic that you yourself, as you were finishing up your schooling, you know, you come back to Bethany at fresh with brand new, this is the most up-to-date yep. curriculum. That's why you keep hiring new people. <laughs> that's, that's the important part of keeping a college alive. Uh, and it was hard for the first four years I was there because I was trying to write a dissertation and teach at Bethany. And anybody who teaches at Bethany knows that it's all consuming. Yes. And so the only way I could work on the dissertation uh, was to work on it in January and then to head back to Atlanta in the summer where some very good friends were kind and would put me up in their house so I could work steadily uh, and get it done. Uh, but it was, I wouldn't recommend that. It's a hard thing to do, to do a dissertation and teach at Bethany. Because the teaching is so exciting, you just want to do that. But you know, you've got to finish the daggone degree. Absolutely. Uh, and so those first four years were a real divide between those things. So I, I have, I've had a couple people on that were, that, that were mentees. They, they, they specifically wanted, Jeffrey Seglin is one of them. And, and he brought up how you taught classes at times on, the, on, on your beautiful back porch and, yep. and, and down at, at your home. And he even stayed with you in, in, the, in, in your he basement. Did. Yep. When did that type of, so you come back to Bethany as a professor, you're keeping that tradition alive of the, this is how we, this is our community and the professors and the students are all together. When did that kind of start to change? Because that seems to be a very... Uh, it, it started to change when Bethany began to become a commuter campus. Mm -hmm. um, something happened to the sense of community. Also, I think, I, and I, I don't understand this very clearly in my mind, students at a certain point felt walking all the way down to my house was cruel and unusual punishment. But they'd walk to Bubba's. Yeah, but you had to go another block to get to oh. my house. Um, and it was daytime. Uh, I spent many days on the roof and on the back hill, <laughs> and, and I loved going down there. Well, a, a lot of, for most of the time, people did. But it was around 2000 or so, I began to feel a shift. Mm -hmm. And at one point, uh, a dean made a decision that students shouldn't go to houses anymore. And was that just education as a whole? They just felt it was... Uh, well, this particular dean was responding to students' response to one particular faculty member whose house was a disaster. And students objected going there, and I understand that. But then instead of talking to one professor, made it a blanket no, we're not going to have classes in houses. Now, I thought that was important enough that Carol and I actually redesigned our house so that we would have more space where the old garage was so we could have students and also create a space so that if students were there, the family still had a space too yeah. as Becca got older. Uh, but that was a, an important part of my experience as a student. And I think that for 
most of the years that I was teaching, um, it was important for students. So there's a there's a local legend, and his name is for the students that are there now. He'll, they'll know him as the namesake of the Hummel Fieldhouse. Yep. We we've been doing a series called Jack's Facts, and I we just uh, a couple episodes ago we had gone from Jack Hoffman's point of view of Larry Hummel. Uh, what was your experience with Larry Hummel? Well, I didn't have a lot of direct experience with him any more than others did. You know, you would see him wandering around campus with his little dog. Um, you would see him pushing his little mower cart with the, with the bucket on it. You didn't quite know what was going on. Uh, in those days, um, he didn't come to the conveyor belt in the dining hall because we didn't do that yet. We, did, we still were in Renner Union. Uh, in those days, as I understand it, he slept in, in the attic um, of Renner. Okay. Uh, that was his, his domicile. We all heard the stories about him and the Wall Street Journal and then the big limos coming and going. Uh, I think mostly we laughed it off. Uh, and then it comes out that it's... And it comes out it was true. But uh, yeah, the same stories were there. Um, nobody really believed them. Uh, he was always a gentle guy. He would always say hi to you in a squeaky voice. Um, and you would see him picking things up. He, he kept the campus clean. He did his jobs. I heard one story about him, though, that was sort of funny, that he'd been assigned to a task up at Pendleton Heights. This is when the Cummins were there. And Susie went to get something out of a closet and Larry had gone in there apparently to take a nap and she opens the door and there's Larry Hummel. Just, uh, just taking a little snooze real quick. Snooze. Uh, but he was certainly a, a, just woven into the campus. Uh, everybody knew him, everybody saw him uh, in the library um, and he would come and go, but he was quiet. He was much, very much self-contained mm -hmm. and what a gift he gave to the college. Well, and, and so you've, you brought up uh, Dr. Gresham. Yeah. And we've talked about Dr. Kirkpatrick. And now you've brought up Dr. Cummins. Yeah. So you went through how many presidents in your tenure at Bethany have you interacted, yeah. gotten the opportunity to interact with? Well, there was Gresham. And then there was Underwood. And then there was an interim president, Orville Wake. And then there was Bill Tucker. Mm -hmm. And then there was Bob Sandercock's interim year. And then there was Todd Bullard. And then there was Dwayne Cummins. And then there was Patricia Boteet. And then there was Dr. Smith. And then there was Miller. And now? Dr. Rodenberg. That's right. So that's 11. <laughs> and, and they all brought their own flair to Bethany, we'll say? Yeah, some was a good flare and some flamed out. Um, there were really exciting presidencies and some that I think uh, were not good for the college. Um, I think you got a good president now. So let's, let's fast forward to uh, the fall of 2010 and yeah. you meet this, uh, this Italian kid from Pittsburgh. Little bit of a hothead. Uh, you, were, you were you were wrapping. That was about the time you were starting to wrap up your time as an educator. 
So, I, I, I retired from teaching in 09. Yeah. So my question was, what made you, what was the the final decision that you decided it was time to move on from the being an educator directly at the college? Yeah, well, I, I watched people retire and some retired well and some retired poorly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess to use uh, a country Western song, you got to know when to fold up <laughs> and you got to know when to run. And I wanted to retire when I was still good. Mm -hmm. um, I could sense, and Helen Louise McGuffey taught me this. Uh, she was wise about many things. She, she said that, you know, you always have to be aware of the world that students live in and move in. You have to care about their popular culture. You, you have to know what it is. And when you get to the point where you'd rather live in your culture than theirs. It's time. It's time. It's time to start thinking about going. And frankly, I prefer listening to blues and classic jazz and uh, classical music. I don't want this stuff that's going out there. Now, I'm not interested in that. Uh, and uh, you, know, it, it, you get to the point where you say, how many years do I have left? Mm -hmm. How do I want to spend those years? And so I was still a good professor. Um, I had, uh, I, I diverted into administration uh, for a while. I went back and wanted to teach one year before I retired because I wanted to go out teaching. I didn't want to go out as an administrator. Um, and it just seemed like it was a good time to step down while you could still get back in the ring and throw a punch if you had to. Um, and then there were other things that I was thinking about. Um, it was hard to be a, a publishing scholar and uh, teach at Bethany. I always kept uh, a foot into that. I was an active Hemingway scholar all the time, but I was content to say maybe publish an article every three years, two years. And not every semester or every and year. So, yeah, and so when I retired, I brought a book out in 2014, a book out in 2018. Uh, I was elected to the board of the International Hemingway Society. And right now I'm serving as the director of the next International Hemingway Conference. So those were things I wanted to do. And you can't do those at Bethany. Um, uh, you, you can't teach and do that. So. I wanted to have that as a part of my my final uh, work as a professor. So, and I hinted in part one that I spent a lot of. Well, actually, I think it was this part at part two. I spent a lot of time down down at the Grimes residence. Either, you know, Dr. Grimes, I'm, I need to pay my dues. Well, I got some gutters, and I got a hillside that needs clean. Um, and you did a good job. But our, our experience and us coming together is back to Alpha Sigma Phi. And yep. uh, in 2010, we went through a restructure and yep. a reorganization. And Josh Arendi, yourself, Bill Kiefer, three people that are, are very important to me fraternally and in my personal life. Um, and then you and I have our have my my piece de resistance, which is 2016, just trying to graduate. Um, yeah, but we we went and you said when you're in your time, Alpha Sig had gone 
through a little bit of a struggle. This was the another chapter of that struggle. Um, but so we meet each other and, and I didn't realize that you weren't teaching anymore because I remember helping you clean out your, like move your, clean your office out. I remember moving yep. chairs and books yep. and, and whatnot, but at what point did you, when you got to the administration side, cause you came yeah. back in. In 2005, uh, I was named Dean of Arts and Sciences. And I stayed in that role um, through 2008. Then I went back and taught a year. And then I came, we bought our home out here in 2011. Mm -hmm. And we would go back and forth when we could. And so I came out here uh, in 2009 after I retired, came out to see my daughter and to do some fly fishing. And I, I got back and uh, President Miller said, you're not retired anymore. <laughs> he asked me to do church relations and I established Buffalo Seminary and enjoyed that very much and, and did that until 2016 actually till 2017. Uh, and I thought that I had retired when in 2016 in October, uh, President Rodenberg called and said, uh, we need a dean. Uh, and so I had one more year in administration uh, as vice president and dean of the faculty. And then actually I did retire in 17. My wife said I failed retirement three times. <laughs> uh, and I think she's right. Well, that's Alpha Six. We tend to stay around this, this place. Uh, I think so. Well, we love it. I mean, it, uh, you were wrong about 30 years. If I figure I came to Bethany in 1960 and I left in 1917, that adds up to a little bit more than 30. That's that's a, you, you spent more time here than I think you spent in Indiana. Oh, I only spent 17 years in Indiana. <laughs> uh, and I don't go back very often. Um, but no, I, I really have spent almost 50 years of my life in Bethany. We lived in one house, a house that you know. We moved into that house when we got there. And we left it in 18. I, I remember strapping everything to the top of the, the Subaru. Yep. yep, I remember you helping with that. Uh, but yeah, we were there from 70 to uh, 18. So that's what, 48 years? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the last question that I have for you is, and, and, and you've touched on so many things, but if you're talking to a prospective student or their parents or the current student base, why Bethany? Why is Bethany the place to get your education? And, and, and what is it about this place that just keeps you coming back and being involved in? Well, to, to steal a line from Alpha Sigma Phi and, and degender it, uh, Bethany is a place to better the person. Uh, Bethany, as I said way back earlier today, it, it'll, it'll give you a great informational education. And that's important, except the information is always changing. <laughs> and Bethany teaches you how to deal with changing information. But it also is engaged, and this is the most important thing, in transformation. 
And one of the things that I was involved in from the time I got there almost with the establishment of the Bethany plan until I stopped everything is maintaining first year seminars. They're the beginning of helping students see that this is about transformation and not just information. So if you want your son or daughter to grow, to find out who they are, to become their better self, Bethany's a good place. There are some other places that do that, but uh, there aren't many anymore. And do we, in your opinion, do we still hold true to our, our founder, Alexander Campbell, and, and what his goal was with this place? Well, yeah, I think one of the things that I said in an address years ago at Bethany, quoting, actually paraphrasing Campbell, he said he wanted to provide us with an education that made us useful to ourselves and useful to others. I think that was at the heart of what he wanted to have happen. Mm -hmm. I think we're still working at that. Um, and I don't see anything to say otherwise. Uh, I have been talking to my brother, Thad Allen, who has two daughters there. And from what I can gather from their experience, we're still engaged in that process and succeeding. Well, Dr. Grimes, we've gotten to the point of the show. I have to send it to the George Clooney of Bethany, Harry Chambers, who has taken on a life of his own with being in front of the camera. Um, I wanted to say thank you very much. I hope that you're enjoying retirement out there in Colorado. And when you are back in the area, we, we got to have a, uh, love to have a glass together. And and I miss be I miss having you out here and being just down the road. Um, you were an well, instrumental part of helping me graduate. I won't say get out of here because well, <laughs> you're still here. Here we are, eleven years. I'm I'm well. I'm I'm hoping to be back for homecoming. Uh, I'm giving the keynote lecture at the Michigan Hemingway Society uh, meeting in the first week of October. So we think we'll drive on down to Bethany for homecoming. Well, then uh, and then unless plans change, or as my friend Hiram Lester would have said, God willing, and the creeks don't rise, <laughs> um, I'm going to be giving the Scott lectures at Bethany next April. So and is there still a uh, is there still a chance that we maybe get a ghost story or two out of you in October? Sure. Maybe we'll have you back on in October and we'll do a <laughs> re we'll revisit the Larry Grimes ghost stories because sounds like a good plan. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. I am Carlo Guadagnino, Dr. Larry Grimes, class of 1964. Um Part of the Mount Rushmore of Bethany, as I've as I've dubbed it. Um, but without further ado, Harry Chambers, go ahead and tell us about your story. You just watched another exciting episode of Dingo Talk, recorded in the secret lair deep in the hills of Bethany, West Virginia. Let me give a shout out to my man Don over at Maple Shade Outdoor. He got some great he's got some great stuff going on over there on YouTube and Instagram. Please make sure you check him out. Also, now available as promised, we have the second edition. Bethany, West Virginia, Mushroom Capital of the World t-shirts, and our Chambers General Store, if we don't have it, you don't need it t-shirts, available in all sizes. So make sure you stop by the store for a t-shirt, breakfast sandwich, our sausage biscuits and gravy, and make sure to check out those daily lunch specials. Now back to you, Dingo. Bye now. Bye now. Bye now. You wanna know?